If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, everybody. It is episode number 151. That's right, the uh, the balloons, the uh, uh, circus clowns, the fireworks that all were featured in full prominence a week ago for number 150. They have uh, exited stage left, and we're ready to get back to business. Start another 150, JC. He is JC Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. This is kind of uh, the Thanksgiving installment of the show, and we're doing it on a Monday uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, get a, get a head start on things before we, like everybody else out there, gets ready for Thanksgiving. And then, uh, two, we've got some breaking news. So the the way that we um, have been doing this the last few weeks, thanks to our uh, our nice addition, Michael Haney, uh, standing by in Nashville, the, the Hot Haney Five, which we like to jump into, five subjects that are uh, most pressing in college football. We're going to put that on the back stove for just a second. That's still going to be featured here today, but clearly, JC, there's one story that stands above the rest, and, and that is another major firing in the SEC. And then we'll get to like the positive stuff. Uh, I, I mean, what a great story in, in Columbia, South Carolina, with Shane Beamer. What a what a interesting story that uh, has happened in the SEC with uh, some teams that. I don't think anybody expected to be bowl eligible, become bowl eligible this weekend. Uh, Lane Kiffin and, and his breakthrough season uh, in the midst of all the, the rumors that are going to be out there uh, with a, a quarterback that has been a joy to watch that has basically announced that um, that he is, is he's gone. Matt Corral is not surprisingly going to go pro so that egg bowl coming up will be his last regular season game of his career hopefully he plays the bowl game i hope we don't go through that whole ordeal again where a bunch of kids just opt out of bowl games i mean Ole miss got a chance to play in a sugar bowl depending how things uh, unfold here in the in the next few weeks uh all that being said i'm fresh off a trip from athens jc seeing number one georgia and ironically enough the guy that patrols at georgia sidelines might be the biggest reason why we have the biggest news of the day, which is that Dan Mullen has been fired at Florida. Um, I'll just say this to to start this subject line off. When we were talking about coaches in the offseason, I somewhat naively thought we could actually have a year, because remember, we had eight coaches fired in two years in the SEC. Eight. I thought we could actually have a year where not a single SEC coach was fired. The only one that I thought had an outside shot of getting fired 
was Ed Orgeron because of some of the off the field stuff. I didn't expect LSU to progress to the point that they did this year. I didn't expect players to not give full effort in some key games early on. Uh, the Dan Mullen one, it has been a divisive subject for a while, but at no point that I actually think Dan was likely going to get fired in 2021 at that. But by that point though, I didn't expect him to win or excuse me, lose four consecutive sec conference games in the nature that he did. I didn't expect some of the things, quirky things like celebrating a win over Sanford, where you give up a ton of points. I, I there's a lot of things I didn't expect. And quite frankly, watching that team the last few weeks, I think there are some guys bought in and there are other guys that have clearly checked out. And Dan Mullen has looked like a guy who's just needed a hug now for a month. He doesn't even look like he's enjoying the job. And so the decision has been made and we are, we have ourselves one heck of a coaching frenzy with some major jobs open right now. Yeah. Florida was the expectation. I got to give a shout out and I know I don't want to say his name because he's a good source of mine, but we were talking over the summer and he was like, what's the one job out there that you don't think is going to come open, but they could come open. And I said, shoot, I don't remember who, I think I said LSU, maybe, I don't know. I may, I may have said Texas A&M because maybe Jimbo takes another gig or something. He came back with Florida and this was in August. And if you remember correctly, there was a lot of rumors about bowling going to the NFL or whatever last year. I didn't think it was fair for Gator fans to tattoo him about the cotton bowl, because as you mentioned earlier, Mike, you know, we're in a day and age where everybody opts out and half their team opted out. And there's no way, I mean, I think Florida was getting 11 and a half points in that game. I loaded up on Oklahoma. I was like, there's no way with all those players, you know, you're playing basically your second string on offense besides Kyle Trask. I was like, there's no way Oklahoma doesn't blow them out. That's, that's easy. That's free money. And, um, of course, I was right. You know, then you go into this year, and then they played Alabama, and Bama's running it up, and then they come back within two, and everybody's fired up about Gator football again. Then all of a sudden, whoops, they lost to Kentucky, and that rarely happens. Well, keep going on and on and on. Georgia blows them out, and then South Carolina happens. And even at that point, Mike, I didn't think they would change. I, I thought Mullen's got a good enough track record down there Having been there under Urban Meyer, he knows Scott Strickland, the AD, uh, because they were together at Mississippi State. They're going to give him a chance to hire a great defensive coordinator and see if he can fix it. Right. Well, then Missouri happens. <laughs> and I watched that game, and I was like, it was, a, it was a case of coaching tentative versus coaching aggressive. Eli Drinkwitz coached aggressive, and that allowed them to win the football game. And Mullen did not. Yeah, in that in that particular game, and you know, then he got shamed in the press conference. Which I'm gonna tell everybody this: you're gonna lose to Missouri here in the next couple of years. You gotta be <laughs> you gotta be prepared for Eli Drinkwitz to talk a little smack because that guy. I, I don't want to compare him to Steve Spurrier because I don't think he's as good of a play caller as, as Coach Spurrier. But you want somebody that'll needle you in the SEC. Look no further than Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah. So. Um, and, and, and so then he's out. So th this, this is what's interesting about this Florida job, Mike. And it's amazing because I think this is the, this is going to be the third new coach at Florida we've had since we started this podcast. 
Yeah, uh, 2016 right. was McIlwain's second year. Didn't think he was going anywhere after two division titles. And he's out, and then Mullen comes in, and then this will be number three. Check this, including interim head coaches. The following eight people have been the head coach at Florida since Steve Spurrier left in 2001. Ron Zook, Charlie Strong, interim. Urban Meyer, Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain, Randy Shannon, interim. Dan Mullen, and now Greg Knox is the interim uh, for this Florida State, and if they get to a bowl. Uh, oh, crap. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. We're nine. Because DJ Durkin coached the Birmingham Bowl after Muschamp got out. So nine, including interims. This is their one, two, fourth, fifth, fourth interim head coach they've had. That's a lot. I mean, and, and, and really, so take away the interims. It's, we're on coach number six since Spurrier. It's hard to get traction that way. Now, it is a great job. And I, I'm going to tell you this. They want a recruiter. There aren't that many guys out there you know, that are like just dynamically great recruiters. Uh, Mario Cristobal's name's come up. That would probably be the perfect fit if you could get him because he doesn't know how to stop on recruiting. And, and I think what Gator fans want is, and, and, and I don't know if, I don't know that they should really feel this way. Cause if you remember <laughs> uh, Ray Goff and Jim Donnan and Mark Rick, a lot of those guys out recruited Florida on paper. And the Gators ended up winning the game. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily know that you can just have somebody chasing highly rated classes. I think you, you like you got to do it like Urban did and have really, really good game day coaching and player development, all that, the complete package. Uh, but that looks like the direction they're going to go, and uh, I, I just don't know that that you know to me is like okay. Well, now we're going to go recruit well and. I just don't know that that's the the, the answer. I, I know their recruiting classes haven't been ranked as high, and I, and I know for a fact that you look at look at Georgia on defense this year, and you look at the players they've recruited: Nakobe Dean, stud; Trevon Walker, stud; Nolan Smith, stud. But then the straw that stirs the drink on that defense was a three-star offensive lineman out of Charlotte that they made into the most dominant nose tackle we've seen in college football in years. And so I think there's a nice blend you have to achieve. I also think Florida gets players. Uh, they always are one of the fastest teams in the conference. They're always good. And I don't, I don't know that they haven't – I don't think they've played up to their talent level this year. So I, I just don't know that talent is that big of a deal. I also think this is a special season at Georgia. Uh, one of the more – this is like – uh, 02 or, or, or 2017 or 198, you name it, name the special Georgia seasons they've had. Um, and you can't panic. I, I don't think you can panic after your rival has one great year. That said, what's done is done. And Gators do have standards. And, and this is not a program that you can sit there and go six and six in a down year and expect to keep your job. They've proven that. Uh, I think, you know, well, we got rid of Muschamp after six and five, got rid of, McIlwain, after some bizarre death threat comments, but that team went four and seven, and now Mullins out after what could be a six and six or a five and seven. So, uh, you know, Zook got fired after eight and four. So, so the standards of Gator football are much higher uh, than a lot of other programs. Uh, and, and if you're going to take that job, you have to understand, you know, you're not allowed to have a down season, and you're certainly not allowed to act weird around the media and have a down season because that kind of hurt McIlwain and Mullen both.
you know, uh, at the end of the day. And I, I know you were at that game against Missouri where he wore yeah. the Darth Vader outfit. Mm-hmm. To me, I liked it. I didn't think it was a big deal, but apparently that ruffled some people's feathers and, you know, people, you know, we heard about that when he was at Mississippi State because we always sat here, Mike, and talked about why hasn't he gotten a job. And that's what you heard behind the scenes. Well, people just don't like him, you know, and then he finally gets a break and he looks like, well, he's the coach we thought he was. I don't care if people don't like him, but, you know, you and I have always taught on the record, off the record. If, you, if you're going to act like that, you better be good and you better win or your days are numbered. And really in any job that you take, but especially in college football. There's a lot to chop up in what you just said. Um, I, I think the people that the whole Darth Vader thing, the people that that annoyed, those are the Pat forties of the world. That, that, those, those people don't matter. Uh, when he says something like, I want the swamp to be packed and it's still, you know, fresh in a COVID year. Again, that's that's right away. Right away, that's going to send off. That's a trigger point for some of the national media writers. So they, they already yeah. made up their mind. They they didn't like Dan Mullen, and that, and that's fine. But but if you're the fan base, you don't care if national media likes your coach or not if he's no. winning. But when you're not winning, it's a combination of things. Uh, you, you're you're obviously just having one of the most dismal stretches. Uh, you know, all that was missing here was a loss to Georgia Southern like yeah. Will Muschamp's last year. But when you're, when you're playing the way you're playing, when uh, I, I tell you, TV shapes the minds. We're seeing this now on the political climate. Mm-hmm. Uh, TV shapes the minds of people more strongly than anything else sometimes. And when they see his body language after loss, after loss, when you see him smiling after a loss, when you see him looking disengaged, all these things, fairly or unfairly, people are making judgments based on that. And they see a guy who doesn't seem to have the answers, who doesn't seem to be completely committed in the recruiting circles, who doesn't seem to be all in. Now, I'm not sure if any of that is true, but that's the perception. And when you add that perception to the record, this was inevitable. This was absolutely inevitable. And I question why you would do it before the Florida state game, but it, again, it doesn't matter. I get it early signing period. That's changed the landscape of now you want to fire coaches sooner rather than later. You keep hearing that. Uh, that's fine. I, I think what's interesting to go back to your broader point about the program. I look at Tennessee and I look at Texas and I see coach, Big, big name coach fired after three years, big name coach fired after three years, big name coach fired after three years. The difference is in the case of Florida, I mean, you've got three trips to SEC championship games. You've got, you know, a fairly high winning percentage. You've got, like, you've got some stuff there. Like you can't compare Florida's mess to what's gone on in Knoxville and Austin. Those are two entirely different messes than what's been going on in Gainesville. But as you said, and rightly so, there is an expectation level at Florida that is different than a lot of uh, uh, programs. Here's the the most telling stat of all. Of the last three Florida head coaches, Will Buschamp, Jim McElwain, and Dan Mullen, none of them made it to 50 games on the job. Wow. Think about that. None of them made it to 50 
games. What do you need to do to make it to 50 games with a 12-game season plus bowl game? That's basically four years, four full years. None of them could make it four full years. That's some scary stuff. So, I mean, essentially, I've talked about this a lot. Jeremy Foley was, was noted for a long time as one of the most brilliant athletic directors in the country. Well, he hired three of those failed coaches, if you want to go back to Ron Zook. Florida is a great job, but it is not one where you just get the pick of the litter. Remember, Dan Mullen was the third choice. Third, Scott Frost and Chip Kelly were one and two, depending on what order you want to go in. So now you're going up against LSU, Southern Cal. I I don't put the other programs, quite frankly, in the same classification, but you know my theory, JC, on how when coaches measure all these things, one of the things they always look at is path of least resistance. And the path of resistance at Florida is pretty damn strong when you can't get a coach to make it to 50 games. So yeah. you're going to have to have a coach that's really confident in his ability to not just win in Gainesville, but to win at an increase, increasingly high level. And you're hired now to do one thing you got to start beating Kirby smart. And they, ironically enough, they did it last year, but that was a, a breakthrough team. And the other thing about that is the key players on that team, almost none of them were recruited by Dan Mullen, whether it was Kyle Pitts or Kyle Trask, those were not Dan Mullen recruits. And so they look at it and they say, what is Dan Mullen? Dan Mullen's trying to find Dak Prescott 2.0. Well, Emory Jones ain't it. Maybe yeah. Richardson is maybe not, but uh, the DNA of the program is not is not that offense, uh, and the recruiting. I guess the rankings, JC, you would know better than I. I think I read somewhere they're in the twenties right now, twenties or maybe even low thirties. Uh, so you add all that up, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But I really thought, even after the loss to South Carolina, like you like you said, I thought he was getting another year. It was, it was obvious they were going to fire coaches. They were going to fire the D.C. and Grant. Everybody knew that. But I didn't think it would actually come with this. But then again, I didn't think they'd lose to Missouri. I didn't think they'd struggle to beat Sanford. I, I didn't think the program would go into a complete tailspin, which it obviously has. So, so here we are, more dead money on the books, more buyout money. And now we have 12, excuse me, 10 SEC openings over the last three years. There are 14 programs in the Southeastern Conference. In three years, we have wiped out 10 coaches of the 14 programs. That, my friends, is a cutthroat league. No doubt. You mentioned Florida, Georgia. Georgia's sort of turned that thing, you know, four out of five. Uh, I think Mullen lost three out of four. Uh, Florida did have a modest three-game win streak. Uh, ironically, McIlwain uh, won two, and Muschamp won his last one. But before that, you know, you got four to four, four and one, four and four. Uh, Georgia's won seven out of eleven in that series. And you know, think about all the success. You know, that, that was kind of one of the linchpins of the Spurrier era at the University of Florida was they turned that series eleven and one, and then. Even Ron Zook had success against the dogs, right? Uh, he won two of three. Urban Meyer, I think, lost maybe one. Uh, so you don't lose to Georgia. Don't lose to the Bulldogs. Expect to be the coach of the Gators, you know? <laughs> I mean, and, and then, you know, the other thing about it is, and I, there's some, there was some talk out there, rumors about Spurrier, 
pulling the trigger and encouraging the fire. I, I don't know that I buy that or not, you know, because people that know about Steve Spurrier, now he's not really going to stick his nose in it. If somebody yeah. asks him his opinion, he's certainly going to say. But, uh, you know, people are talking about that. But I'll tell you what, for any coach that goes in there, that's a big shadow with an office right down the hall at Ben Hill Griffith Stadium. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a guy down the hall that's I – mean, I mean, he's an analyst. He's got his – he's uh, an ambassador. He's got his restaurant. He, he's not – I would be shot if Steve Spurrier sticking his nose in anything because he, he didn't like it when people would do that to him. Yeah. But it's still a it. big shadow right down the, the hall. Sure. Right down sure. the and hall. I, and I don't think he's coming back. I mean, I've heard that rumor too. Nah, nah. This is not Mac Brown, Mac Brown 2.0 is coming back at like 70. He's, he's not up for all that, uh, all of that stuff. I, I think as much as anything, this is, this is the brass. Uh, the, the, and it's, it's, it's interesting because Scott Strickland, the AD kind of took a shot at Auburn and LSU in the process saying, look around here, you know, we don't have a board of trustee trying to tell us what kind of offense to run. We don't have boosters trying to dictate uh, coaching changes. But I, I, I have to believe that there are some boosters that said, OK, we're looking at what George is and we're looking at where we're at and it ain't it ain't working. And I can tell you, just being in Athens this past weekend, that is like a well-oiled machine. I, I mean, what Kirby has built in six years, it, it it's. Bama Saban light. And I say light because until they finally knock off the beast and they'll be meeting December or whatever in Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, until they do that, then they're always going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be a, a, a letter B or a dash two or whatever. They're not number one, but short of that, what they have going on there, the culture couldn't be better. Everybody loves one another. You got, you got guys turning down high draft pick stakes to come back for their senior year, like two of their defensive linemen did. Uh, you've got you got a, a a potential NFL quarterback, JT Daniels, not being a disruptive force, even though a walk on is former walk on is starting in front of him. Uh, everybody seems to play for for one another, love one another. You got five stars all over the place. You, you got your fourth string quarterback as a blue chip kid, and you got. I mean, there's just. They have built that over time. It didn't happen overnight. And meanwhile, Florida, which used to resemble that going back to the Urban Mm -hmm. Meyer years and uh, the Steve Spurrier years, they don't look like that under Dan Mullen. They just Mm -hmm. don't. And so I think the feeling was we got to find somebody that will make it look like that again. Well, and they've been real transfer heavy too. Uh, Let's be honest, Florida actually was – good in the portal before the portal was really like a big thing. I mean, Van, Van Jefferson, those guys, uh, you know, and you have to question, you got to look back to like, okay. Yeah. A lot of success with Kyle Trask, but man, man, you, you and I, Mike have watched Felipe, watched Felipe Franks his entire career. You have to wonder like, what was that about? Why didn't they, uh, you know, why did they go to Trask earlier? And, and you know, these things happen. It's very common that you, Coaches don't find their starter until it, you know, something like that occurs. But, you know, it, it always seemed like roster-wise they were trying to piece it together. McElwain and Jeff Collins, uh, when he was there, they recruited pretty well on defense. And then that defensive talent sort of cycled out. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fair deal. Uh, you know, and, and I just wonder – I mean, look, it's Florida, and you can get the swamp rocking, and you can throw a rock and hit blue chip players, right? Florida's Florida. 
But you have to wonder if you're a head coach and you have a choice between Florida and another job, you have to kind of wonder, am I, you know, am I going to be sitting here in year three on the hot seat? Because, you know, when a coach takes over, that first recruiting class usually is just kind of a crapshoot, right? And then it's your second and third. I mean, it's all that good stuff. And then you both. So sometimes year three and year four, there's a dip. And nobody survived the year three and four dip at Florida. No, no, they, they haven't. And, you know, you, you can say, well, it's Florida. It just shouldn't be that way. Well, they're probably saying the same thing in Tallahassee right now. They've been saying the same thing in Miami for the better part of a couple of decades, right? Like, mm-hmm. remember last week, what did we talk about? Miami. Uh, well, yeah, but on, on the bigger scale, as much as we don't have a ton of diversity at the top, and we'll, we'll go big picture here later on, and the latest on the on the, the, the what the polls are going to look like Tuesday and the playoff uh, race and everything else. Oregon losing obviously uh, changes a lot of stuff, but we we got a lot of the same blood as we always do. But what 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 is new, I think, or, or somewhat interesting about college football is how no matter how good the program, you can remember the game shoots and ladders. Shoots and ladders, yeah. You, you, you can hit a shoot real quick. Like it, it's real hard to climb the ladder and be where Alabama and Georgia, uh, uh, Ohio State are. It, it's hard to, to climb that ladder, but it's a hell of a lot easier to land on one of those shoots where you're in a so-called elite program and you fall two, three, four levels down. And we've seen that happen to Texas, Southern Cal, Florida, Florida State, Miami. I, I mean, it, it's happening, and so making a coaching change Florida fans know this very well. It does not guarantee you that the next guy is going to be the solution because this is now going to be the fourth guy. I, I don't want them. They probably won't hire a guy with the last name. that begins with M because Muschamp, McElwain, Mullen, that's great for alliteration. Your English teacher might like that, but I think uh, the letter M has been kind of a curse. All right. So, Turning the page forward on it, the you you submitted this to me, JC, and I've seen a number of different articles, and we can get into all this, but here are some updated odds <clears throat> right now on the next Florida coach. Four to one, Billy Napier. Billy Napier has been like the <laughs> – how many times is Billy Napier going to be rumored for a job and then he's going <laughs> to take it, you know, like how – uh, we, we just keep we just keep recycling the Billy Napier sweepstakes. Lane Kiffin five to one. Mario Cristobal six to one. Bob Stoops, the defensive coordinator when Spurrier won his one title there eight to one. James Franklin eight to one. Mark Stoops of Kentucky eight to one. Luke Fickle nine to one. Eric Bieniemy twelve to one. Matt Campbell twelve to one. Bill O'Brien sixteen to one. That's actually a little low to me for Bill O'Brien. Uh, Dan Quinn, Dave Clawson, Deion Sanders, 25 to 1. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, 25 to 1. Urban Meyer, 50 to 1. Tim Tebow, 100 to 1. Somebody's got a sense of humor in Vegas. Your, your thoughts on that list? Well, I don't think Urban Meyer is going back to Florida, and I don't think Deion Sanders is getting the Florida job. So that's uh, <laughs> that's that. Uh, you know, to me, Dan Quinn would be a gamble. I think he's a hell of a coach. I just – he's an NFL guy, right? And he does have some 
connections there. Now, O'Brien, uh, if you're talking about NFL guys, that's a different story, but they've already hired Saban's offensive coordinator once. Um, Napier, you know, I, I, you know, you want a guy that can recruit. I get it. Uh, but he's been a little selective uh, about some of these jobs. And I think that, you know, when you look at it, uh, if you're risk it, I don't want to say Billy Napier's risk adverse, but you turn down Auburn. I mean, it's not like he's just jumping at the first SEC job and not only SEC job, but a, a big six SEC job like Tennessee and Auburn, you know, he wanted no part of those. So what's he waiting on? LSU? I mean, what are you waiting on? You know, there. Lane Kiffin would be, to me, a home run for the Gators. Uh, I, I think he fits. Uh, he's quirky, uh, not quirky like Dan Mullen. He wears a visor, <laughs> you know, he, he dials up plays. He runs an exciting offense uh, and he can recruit. Now, the question is, would, would, would he take it? Does he want it? I mean, they went after Hugh Freeze when Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss, you know, and I've, I didn't expect this job to come open, but everything I've heard about Kiffin is Miami, maybe LSU, if he's going to get out. Now, you mentioned Matt Corral. Probably one thing that sticks in the crawl of Gators fans is, is that Matt, at one point, he was a long time Florida commit before That's McElwain right. got fired. Uh, and in fairness, I never thought that was a big deal. I didn't think he, I didn't, I didn't think Matt Corral would be this good, you know, just to, to level that out. Um, Cristobal, to me, uh, you know, here's the thing about Mario Cristobal I would imagine he wants Miami badly because that's his school. He played there. He knows about the U. You know what you can do there when you get out and beat the bushes and recruit and all that. You're also in the ACC, which I think's hurt their program for whatever reason. I can't explain why. Uh, but Miami's probably never going to be able to come up with the dollars to pay Mario, right? He already makes pretty good. Phil Knight, pretty deep pockets out there. They're pretty happy with him at Oregon. But Florida can pay. Florida's got that SEC money. They're not going to. They're, they're they're not pinching pennies like they are at Miami and Gainesville. Uh, and so, to me, if, if I'm a Florida fan and I'm looking at what I want and what would be a proven commodity, right, Mike? Not a oh, well, we hope this guy does good. To me, it's crystal ball one, Kiffin two, and if it gets beyond that, you know. It's probably Bob Stoops' last chance to take the job if he wants it. Uh, James Franklin would be an interesting hire, but I, I worry that he would end up a lot like Will Muschamp in the sense that Florida, really highly rated recruiting classes, talent's not a problem, but inexplicable losses and, and stuff like that. Um, but I like James, and I'm probably – I'm one of the only people that really like actually likes James Franklin. <laughs> Some people don't like him. Uh and I think I think he would put some life in it. I think Mark Stoops would be the least exciting hire, but he would build that thing into a really solid program. Uh, I, I, I think, and they already are solid. But I, I think, you know, the question with him is, how, has he ever taken it to a next level? And I think the answer is yes. If you look at Kentucky and kind of their baseline versus ceiling, um. But, you know, what's he going to be able to do with a program like Florida? That's always a question. So the rest of them, no. I, you know, and even Napier, if they hire Billy Napier, great. I, I'm not saying that he won't succeed, but you, you've gone the 
former Saban assistant, and I'm not talking about Lane Kiffin spending some time in Tuscaloosa or Mario Cristobal spending some time in Tuscaloosa. You know, I'm talking about Saban guys, guys he's hired once, twice, you know, whatever. You've hired McElwain, you've hired Muschamp. Neither one worked. So, you know, maybe you want to go hire somebody a little different this time. Well, here's the uh, here's the quandary, no. okay? Uh, those names you mentioned, I, I, I'll bet you a lot of Gator fans get excited when they hear Lane Kiffin and Mario Cristobal. They might yeah. even get excited over James Franklin. They might even get excited over Mark Stoops. All of those schools are more than equipped to match any financial offer that Florida gives. Yep. Oregon's not going to lose Cristobal over money. Ole Miss is not going to lose Lane Kiffin over money. Penn State, if they are truly all in on James Franklin, and who knows? I mean, the last year and a half hasn't been a, a banner period for James Franklin. But if they really believe he's the guy, they're not going to lose him over money. So what you're, what you're looking at, and this is why I think Vegas looks at it this way. They say, well, look, Billy Napier, Louisiana could lose a coach over money. So that's the easy odds on choice because he'd yeah. be going from he'd be going from one spot to a much, 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 much greener pasture with all due respect to Rage and Cajun Nation. You can't say that about the other candidates. You know, it, it wouldn't strictly be a money move for the other candidate. It would really be a I think I can do better things at this job. And then that's going to be countered somewhere in their brain by, well, wait a minute. My guess is the last three coaches that summarily got fired before they ever reached 50 games thought the same thing. Maybe I ought to think twice about this. That is where this does not become a slam dunk for Florida, not to mention you're going up against LSU. And and maybe 20 years ago, Florida would have been considered the better job than LSU. LSU now with three consecutive coaches who have won a national title. I don't know if you can claim that, not to mention all the recruiting right there in your backyard and everything else. So this is, I think Scott Strickland really has his work cut out for him on this. Yeah. I think he, I don't think he's equipped to handle it. I mean, he, you know, he's a guy that had the sense to hire Mullen twice. And then, you know, we can sit here and say, I don't know that we can say Mullen was a bad hire, Mike. I think we can say, He's had a bad period. The bottom fell out, and that doesn't happen in the SEC. I think I would have hired him. I think Dan Mullen will probably go to the NFL like he has wanted to as, as an OC or maybe even an analyst and, and try to get involved with coaching that way because I, I do think he's burnt out with a lot of the stuff, just the I college agree. football stuff. Doesn't want to deal with recruiting, and I don't think his personality could be a head coach in the NFL. Yeah, nah, you know, so we'll we'll see what happens with him. I don't think he's done, though, and if you look at it, Zook coasted Illinois, Meyer coasted Ohio State, Muschamp at South Carolina, McElwain got Central Michigan. Mullen will get someplace, maybe someplace else, maybe a step down. I think somewhere in the Big Ten, like let's say somebody picks off Jeff Brom from Purdue. Dan Mullen could do work at Purdue. I mean, you know, he's that that's kind of his style of gig. You know, you don't really have to go recruit. You just go find players. Right. I mean, here's the difference between him and all the other guys that get fired at Florida. Dan Mullen's reputation as one of the top play callers in the country is still unfazed. Yeah. I mean, that hadn't changed. That has not changed. And I don't think that will change. That's what makes it so unique. Like you did hire third choice, but you did hire one of the best play callers in all college football. You did hire a guy that overachieved at Mississippi state. 
you, you hired a guy that had already been an offensive coordinator at Florida when things were pretty good. And Tim Tebow was there. So I, I, I can't be critical of the hire. I mean, this, this goes back to what I always say. It's a crapshoot, folks. It is a crapshoot. We all just sit there. We think we know because we all, you know, had success in a fantasy league at one point or time. And we think we're brilliant. We we know who's going to work and what's not. Gonna, you don't know. You don't I'll, know until it fails. I'll say this too, Mike. And you know, our our, our nut graph. That's a that's a term. <laughs> I think when you when you write a story like a nut graph. Uh, I think I that's wondering a where you're going term. With that. The, on this very subject, you know what we've we've been saying for two years. What's that? Well, look at Florida, and they got Dan Mullen. He was their third choice, and and he's right. winning. And look at Scott Frost and Chip Kelly, and how they're not. Right. Well, now Frost is coming back. Chip Kelly probably is coming back. And but neither one out. of them are. Those are very unpopular people right now. But Mullen's out before all of them. I, well, on, yeah, nobody would have. We, we right. never said that. No, that, that that's that's so true. That's such a good point. You know, first, first off, Nebraska is not happy with Frost and UCLA nah. is not happy with with Kelly. But how ironic is it? Right. Like those three guys, they were just the top three choices for Florida. Those could have been the top three choices for a hundred different programs. And all three, you could make the argument have failed. They've all failed <laughs> and they've all got good jobs. It's not like they took like really risky Adver- risk averse jobs that have a history of losing and they don't have facilities. No, they all failed at places where you would think they would win. So that, if that doesn't show you what a crap shoot all this is, nothing else will. All right. Do you have anything else to add before we get to the uh, Haney hot five? That's obviously mm. the biggest news and it's, it, it's got a huge domino effect on so many different things. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I, I just mentioned Chip Kelly, you know, he beats USC or Southern Cal. I don't want to offend like 20% of our audience there. Uh, Southern Cal, 62-33, and there's a column in the L.A. Times talking about how he needs to like uh, get fired anyway. So I'm like, wow. Wow, I didn't didn't know Los Angeles had such a hostile media toward uh, college football coaches. Well, that's the other thing, too. You know, I talked last week about my trip there to to call some NFL, and I was talking about the uh, the, – the time zone difference, how I could get used to living in the Western time zone as a sports fan. But the other thing that, that, that I would, it would be hard for me to get used to. And I was there, I don't know, uh, 48 hours or or thereabouts. It it really, it's such a pro town, like college football. Yeah. People write about it and they, and they, uh, they, they cover it out of necessity, but man, it, it doesn't move the needle. You drive around LA for a few days, you don't see a whole lot of UCLA or Southern Cal stuff. It's it's Chargers, Rams, Lakers. Like it's that's that's just a it's a it's a whole different ball game. We'll never know that world um, because the three of us uh, have all been much of our lives in the Southeast, where college football is king, and mm-hmm. it's it's anything but out there. So anyway, all right, time to introduce. Back from uh, last time, it was a rock boat. This time, he's more chill and uh, less uh, inebriated. Uh, Michael Haney joining us now. <laughs> yeah, Michael, right. welcome aboard. Yeah, I, th- I think I finally got all of the alcohol out of my system. By, there we go. Uh, about six days after I got back on dry land. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a good time. Good, good time. time. 
Very yeah. good. And, you, and you'll have a chance now to just watch some football and enjoy with the family and uh, yeah, yeah. I've be doing a, the whole music thing. I've got a busy post Thanksgiving and, and a busy December coming up with, uh, with the music stuff, but at least for now, Thanksgiving, uh, get a little bit of a hiatus. So looking forward to that. There and you it go. Was fun. It was fun to actually be able to hang back this weekend and, and watch some of these games and see what was happening and, and ultimately see what was going to be the demise of, of one Dan Mullen. Um, and, and what's going on down there in Gainesville, which, you know, not to, not to continue to add on to, to the full commentary on it, but yeah, just crazy stuff. What's going down there in Gainesville, but Mike, we'll start off with the uh, Haney's hot five here. We're going to flip it around. We'll do a feel good story right now. Cause we've, like spent, a feel so, good story. we've spent so much time these last uh, couple of times that I've been on. We're talking about the coaching carousel. We're t- talking about money and all this kind of stuff and how guys would keep you 12 openings now, 14 openings before Thanksgiving in college football. But one of the feel good stories is one uh, with a program that we're all very uh, familiar with and a town we're all very familiar with in Columbia, South Carolina. Shane Beamer uh, was one of the guys last year in the coaching carousel that uh, I don't think he was really a hot name being bandied around too much. You know, South Carolina didn't have a lot of competition for him, but he's the guy that they went for. And for reasons that I know you guys have detailed plenty of times before in various areas, but Shane Beamer says Columbia's home. That's where he wants to be in the state of South Carolina. And he just rewarded the folks and Ray Tanner for giving him a shot by getting bowl eligible against the odds. Three and a half wins were the over under for the Gamecocks going in. They reached six with a surprise victory at home over Brian Harson's Auburn squad, another first year head coach in the SEC. So, gentlemen, your thoughts on what the Shane train is being able to uh, accomplish so far uh, against uh, against the odds. Well, JC, I know you could do an hour on this, and, and you do it every week. This is this is right in your wheelhouse. Uh, I'm not as close to it as I used to be, but I do know uh, Shane fairly well, and and certainly keep up with what's going on over there in Columbia. I've been on record. I, I've said that I thought South Carolina had to do something outside the box with their next hire, not just hire the hot mid-major coach or the hot coordinator and somebody who truly – loves it there and understands it there. And that was Shane Beamer. Uh, The fact that he has beaten Florida and Auburn in the same year in year one with a division three transfer quarterback, a grad assistant coach quarterback leading the way for almost the entire season is beyond overachievement. I mean, he's legitimately in the conversation for sec coach of the year with Josh Heupel, who I'm, I'm guessing is the favorite to win that award. To me, that's always been an overachieving award, not an award you give to a coach that had a really talented roster with a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback and wound up winning 10, 11 games. So I can't say enough about the job that he has done. And there is so much needed excitement and enthusiasm that has been injected into that program with those two wins and with becoming bowl eligible. Uh, Maybe now we're seeing the ascension of South Carolina and Tennessee football, two different stories, but, but two, two that have had a similar path the last couple of years of disappointments uh, in terms of wins and losses. And uh, it just seems like they're on the right track over there at South Carolina. Yeah. And look, there's been some bumps in the road. It's uh, I mean, the Missouri loss was brutal. You know, um, South Carolina kind of had a good game on offense against Florida, then reverted uh, out in Columbia, Missouri. And, uh, you know, Mike, you you've, you guys both have been around the program a long time. And you know that Auburn 
absolutely has owned the Gamecocks since they've been in the SEC. I mean, Carolina, I think, played them the first time in 96. Anthony Wright was the quarterback. Gamecocks had them down 24-14. Auburn rallied to win. And it's just been, you know, a house of horrors against Auburn. You, you can go in the state of Alabama up until three years ago, and Alabama fans have great respect for South Carolina because the Gamecocks have knocked them off three Three, I think three times since being in the SEC, but had never beaten Auburn. And uh, beat him last year, and then uh, this year, beat him again. And so I think anytime South Carolina can beat Auburn or beat Florida, you take it however you want. It's a big game this weekend that is winnable. I'm not saying the Gamecocks are the favorite. I'm just saying that it's winnable. Uh, and, and, yeah, you, you're happy for Shane Beamer. And it's not been – one of those years, Mike, where you looked at this team and said, instantly they're improved. You looked at him and said, well, they're improved on defense quite a bit, but the offense is not as good, probably not. Uh, the quarterback situation you mentioned, uh, they're beating teams like East Carolina and Vanderbilt by three and one points, struggling against Troy. A uh, couple of their games on the road in the SEC, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Georgia, they were over by halftime. No question. <laughs> and, and, and so, and then the Florida game happened. So then you're like, well, maybe they can get on a roll. And then a very winnable game at Missouri, the Gamecocks dropped. So, you had winnable games against Kentucky, Missouri, that I know Gamecock fans would like to reverse those streaks because there was a time South Carolina was very successful against both those programs. But you can replace that with Florida and Auburn. Even if the Clemson game does not know go the Gamecocks way, it's still a heck of a first year. And – you know, has it been perfect? No, but but this is a program that you know they're at six wins right now. They won they won six the last two years combined. Um, and I know it was an all SEC year in 2020, and you know that that could have been a four or five win team, but still, you know, you get back to bowl eligibility. And I think every program in the country, we just talked about Florida for a long, long time. Obviously, theirs is higher than South Carolina's, but. Every program in the country has what I call a baseline of expectations. And, and I think in the 90s, South Carolina's baseline of expectations was four wins or so. You know, I, maybe I, we're just four or five wins South Carolina or whatever. We won't get to a bowl or whatever. That's kind of the talk. Well, then once Lou Holtz came and Spurrier came and they had a lot of bowl seasons and then a lot of really good seasons, uh, you know, I think the baseline expectation for this program with as many bowl games as there are and, and all that, how the schedule sets up is a trip to a bowl. And, and I think that when you're trying to get a program back, you know, if you meet those baseline expectations, that really helps your offseason momentum. Uh, it helps your recruiting uh, and all that good stuff. And I think, you know, you look around South Carolina now and there's a lot of movement coaching-wise and things like that. Uh, the Gamecocks, could, that could benefit South Carolina in recruiting. I'll go back to the Spurrier era. You know, a couple of the best classes the Gamecocks had, uh, one year North Carolina and NC State got fired. They got a lot of kids out of North Carolina. Uh, one year uh, Tommy Bowden gets fired at Clemson. Philip Fulmer's out at Tennessee. That was kind of – that was that Alshon Jeffrey, Gilmore, Holloman, uh, Swearinger class, you know. And then you build up to land in a Lattimore and a Clowney, and you got all those guys. So, you know, sometimes when, when you're a program like South Carolina, chaos around you combined with some stability sort of helps you get guys, helps you get players, and with the portal now even more. So, 
Uh, yeah, and I never thought Shane Beamer was a bad hire. I still remember a, a columnist saying, oh, well, it's just not like Harson at Auburn. You know, yeah. It's just uh, – and, and they mentioned recruiting. How's he going to be able to recruit like Harson? Well, ask any Auburn fan about the recruiting down there right now. And then, lo and behold, Shane Beamer beats it. And, uh, you know, just really happy for, for Shane Beamer and uh, for the Gamecocks, uh, you know, regardless of what happens against Clemson, I think, uh, you know, you can kind of say this has been a, a surprisingly successful year where they have overcome some things. Uh, and, and, you know, gotten some things right uh, after they were not going well. And I think anytime you can do that, uh, it's good coaching. All right, guys, so we'll go to number two and we'll branch outside of the SEC a little bit and Florida, South Carolina talk. And we'll get to some of the, the results, some of the bigger results that happened uh, this weekend. We spent a lot of time. One of our last headlines last week was uh, breaking live uh, when we were recording. It was the Mel Tucker 10-year extension, $95 million contract deal, and huge game for the Spartans to go into with Ohio State. Uh, we spent a lot of time discussing, hey, things are going to work itself out, and boy, did it. Uh, the game was over well before it even reached halftime. Uh, so between Michigan State, between Oregon, uh, two teams there in the top uh, in the top 10, knocking themselves out of the conversation completely for the college football playoff. Gentlemen, just from a national scale, your perspective on on those two defeats by those two teams. Casey, I'll let you eat off this. Okay, yeah, Ohio State and those receivers, my goodness gracious. And C.J. Stroud, you know, they took the early loss. Everybody, yeah, grumbling, grumbling. Maybe they're not the same. Penn State played them close. You know, C.J. Stroud, uh, he's hitting his stride at the right time. I'll say this. Michigan has been equally – I'm not going to say equally impressive, but impressive as well, you know. Now, they didn't – take Michigan state to the woodshed quite like the Buckeyes did. I mean, they, they lost that game in East Lansing, but uh, it's going to be interesting in Ann Arbor here this weekend. But I, I looked at it and I'm like, well, there's my matchup that I would like to see just as a football guy. I would like to see the Ohio state offense against the Georgia defense uh, because that is a, that offense they run at Ohio state with the personnel they have at receiver that's kind of a blitz beater, you know? I mean, they're going to have to really make sure they can pressure Stroud and if this hypothetical matchup. I don't want to talk too much about it because they can beat you vertically, you know, big time. And, um, you know, just so impressed w- w- with that offense from Ohio State and what they did. They were able to bottle up Michigan State defensively. So, And then Oregon was disappointing, man. I know Utah is hell on wheels to go play at Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City. I know it's hell on wheels to go out to play those guys. They are tough and a probably the most consistent team in the Pac-10. But you know that, that game didn't go so well for the for the old Ducks there, and so that's that's tough not only uh, for Oregon, but if you're a closet Pac-12 homer like I am, um, it's disappointing for me too. Uh, addendum there uh, to, to this, JC. Uh, one of the matchups that you were looking forward to last week was was Clemson hosting Wake Forest. Uh, obviously Clemson able to pull away and have a very convincing victory there, uh, pouring a lot of water on Wake Forest's season and what they were hoping to accomplish. But your thoughts on how that particular game went down? Well, you know, Clemson was able to run the football almost at will uh, against their defense. And then, 
the thing with with Wake Forest offense, Warren Ruggiero's the OC there. A lot of people love his offense, and I do too. I mean, I think they deserve all the credit they can get. But the one thing I've noticed about them over the years, particularly when they go play Clemson, and, and they haven't beaten Clemson since 08. Uh, so there's been a long bunch of losing that Clawson and whoever else has done up there. And they don't always play Clemson even close. And uh, I think Clemson's figured out that that mesh point in their run game that they use, it's a delay kind of deal, and it works a lot of the time. But when you have that kind of talent on the D-line and in the front in general, and you have guys like Skalski and those linebackers that can trend those guys and get after it, and your front seven is that good, you can really make that offense one-dimensional, and Hartman just didn't have time. I mean, it was a – it showed you, like, okay, Wake has had a better season than Clemson, but there's a reason Clemson was a favorite in the football game. And and I picked Clemson last week, and I think, uh, you know, if they're able to run the ball like that, you know, they probably will beat South Carolina. And, Guys, lo and behold, if uh, North Carolina beats North Carolina State and Boston College beats Wake next week, Clemson goes to the ACC championship game. So, uh, and I think if you're Pittsburgh (laughs) and you you end up, I I don't know if Pitt's won that division or not yet, but if you're Pittsburgh, you kind of celebrated a whole lot when you beat the Tigers during the season and ah, you had to go back and play them when they're on a roll in Charlotte. That may not turn out too well for Pat Narduzzi and the Panthers, but uh, yeah, just a, it was a line of scrimmage game. Uh, Clemson uh, defensive line dominated the wake offensive line and uh, Clemson's offensive line got a big push and uh, what happened ended up happening. And uh, that's, uh, that's tough for wake, but, you know, that that's just kind of sometimes it's about talent and, and that's what happened Saturday at Death Valley. Are you throwing in addendums here, Michael? Okay. Uh, so I got two things to, to hit on. Uh, well, let me start with the last one first. Yeah. Uh, JC hit it. I mean, the, the, the mesh point deal is, is great. It's a, it's a great diversionary tactic that really trips up 99% of the ACC that doesn't have a dominating defensive line like Clemson. And, and so they, they can just completely dissect a Virginia, a North Carolina, uh, a Duke, heck, a Miami of today. But when Clemson goes out there and they're just absolutely dominating the line of scrimmage, uh, all of a sudden it, it's a different ball game. It's kind of the best, the best recipe to really crippling any dominating offense, no matter how tricky it might be is a a great defensive line. I mean, that's what Georgia does. They don't have to blitz hardly ever. They they send those three mules at you. And then you get to try to guess which linebacker is going to be the fourth guy rushing. And then they throw seven back in coverage and your quarterback is under pressure on almost every snap without having to blitz. That's a beautiful luxury. If you're a defensive coordinator, Kirby Smart will admit as much that, that that's not brilliant scheming. That's just well, our Jimmys and Joes are bigger or better than yours. And in the case of Clemson, uh, that was the the factor. That's it. unfortunately this has been the case for Wake Forest. They get off to great starts, and then they hit that November swoon where the the, the schedule gets amped up a bit, and all of a sudden the, the stock starts falling a little bit. Uh, it's not a knock on Coach Clawson. It's just a, a reality the way things have gone over there in Winston Salem for the last few years, uh, Ohio state, look, they're at a different level right now. And, and you've got a situation where 
we were talking about uh, Heisman Trophy. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about a Michigan State running back being the leading candidate. We're not doing that now. I mean, right now it looks like a two-quarterback race, and the two quarterbacks reside in Tuscaloosa and, and Columbus. Things can change, but uh, I, I, Ohio State, to me, still it gives the best chance to beat whoever comes out of the SEC, be it Georgia or Alabama, or perhaps both. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, their wide receiving core is the best in college football. Reminds me of Alabama a year ago. And they figured it out. Whatever they were doing wrong early on, they have figured it out. If you were if you were counting out Ohio State early on, you were making a mistake. Uh, I hope for the sake of college football, Michigan shows up on Saturday, Ann Arbor, noon. Make that a good game, please. Uh, and again, I have no dog in the fight, but I do think it'd be better to have uh, Michigan actually be relevant again and maybe pull off a win in that series, but don't know if that's going to happen this year. And and for all the talk about a, a coach that has had one good year and getting the highest paid contract in the history of college football, why you would make that announcement right before a possible woodshed beating to Ohio state. I'll never know, but that's what Michigan state elected to do. And <laughs> I kind of wonder what was it? It was forty-two nothing or forty-nine nothing at one point in yeah, that game. It was even forty-two at half. Forty-two nothing at half. Uh, why? Why? Why put all that exposure on your head coach? I, that's a head scratcher to me. But anyway, uh, congratulations to the Buckeyes. Yeah, and, and look, I, I take nothing away from the the season Mel Tucker has had at Michigan State, and I do. I do think they did a good job piecing it together in the transfer portal and all that. If you really dig into that, it's more of a depth thing. And then the kid from Wake, obviously, is an outstanding running back. They got some defensive pieces, too. But I thought that that daggum contract after one year was very, very premature. And I also think if you're an athletic director, you you, you need to have your ear to the ground and – uh and kind of understand that, yes, Mel Tucker was an LSU assistant. And, yes, a lot of people probably pushed him for that job, including the media and probably some coaches he's worked with, right? But does that really fit Scott Woodward's M.O. as the no. athletic director there? Scott Woodward hasn't hired one-hit wonders. He's hired guys that have established themselves and won big at other places – across all sports, guys and gals, okay? So you can look at that. You know, the guy that hired Chris Peterson from Boise, people said it couldn't be done. The guy that hired Jimbo Fisher from Florida State, people said they couldn't have been done. The guy that hired Kim Mulkey in women's basketball from Baylor, people said it never happened. You know, is he really going to go hire a guy that's had one good year and never been to a bowl? I, You know, I thought it was a premature overreaction. Probably some alums, boosters, and everybody – they have some PTSD from when Saban left them. Remember in the middle of the night for LSU? So you're like, we can't do this again. Uh, but hey, you know what? If Mel Tucker makes 95 million, more power to him. This is what's great about America. So I, but like we called it last week, Mike, I was like, yeah, I'm a little bit, a little bit hesitant just because I, I you know, I, I just, I, I didn't think they were in any danger of losing him to LSU. Maybe I was completely wrong. But I just didn't think that that was completely necessary. And then you go get beat like that 
that weekend, you're just kind of like, ah, oh, well, you know. Um, and, I, and I'll add this one more thing onto that. One game, if, if you're going to get behind your guy uh, and you're going to spend $95 million, you know, you can't come off of that based on one game. It's one game. He's your guy. You want him there 10 years, you got to, you know, you, it's one game. So, uh, anyway, that was my take on that. All right, guys, number three, and kind of dovetailing into what you're just talking about there, JC, with, with LSU, and bringing it back around. Mike, you, you may have hinted about where you feel uh, about this a little bit earlier, so I'll get you to, to expound upon this. But with the coaching openings that, that have happened, you know, we've detailed the craziness that's going on. 14 openings before Thanksgiving. Uh, four jobs have been filled, 10 are open, and right now there's three Blue Blood programs that are looking for job openings in Florida, LSU, and Southern Cal. So, gentlemen, uh, at least as it stands right now, and we – said there could potentially be uh, a couple more in Miami and in Texas that open, but set those aside for now out of those three, Florida, LSU, Southern Cal, where would you rank those job openings? If you were to be called uh, by the athletic directors of those schools, which one would you want to be the head coach at? Well, look, this is not a bailout answer and I'll, and I'll give you the answer you're looking for in a second, but it really depends on who the coach is. Uh, most of these coaches have families some families like the, the small college rural lifestyle. Some can't stand it. Some want to be in a big city. Some are West Coast people. Some are East Coast people. Uh, some have an affiliation to a particular conference. There's a million different. Re- How many times have we seen a coaching rumor or story about a coach who wants a job, doesn't want a job, wants to leave a job because the wife isn't happy? I, I, I've heard that a hundred times. Like it's, it's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Happy wife, happy life. Like that does exist in the minds of these coaches when they're trying to evaluate one, two or three. I, I mean, look on the surface to me. And, and I, I realize, you know, we're three sec guys here, but I can be objective about things. If we were talking Ohio state that, that could change the, the totem pole of all this, but we're talking a Southern Cal program that hasn't been relevant since Pete Carroll, uh, a, a PAC 12 conference. that's going to be on the outside looking in again in the college football playoff. Uh, the PAC 12 is in such is so far behind right now, the sec and the big 10 that there's a lot of uh, room to, to, to be made up for that. You can't just do on your own if you get the Southern Cal job. So that's a long way of saying Florida and LSU to me uh, are, are better jobs than Southern Cal. The LSU job, I just can't get past that stat. The last three coaches have won a national title. And you can invert that positive or negative. The positive is obvious. Well, heck, if they did it, why can't I do it? How did they do it? Well, because LSU has got this great track record of getting tremendous athletes right in their own backyard. Uh, and yeah, you play in the toughest division in football, but every now and then you're, you are going to beat Alabama. And when you do, you got a chance to win a natty. The other side is with that. If you don't win a natty in the first three years, you're on the hot seat. My friend, you could get fired very conceivably could get fired. Uh, you don't believe me, ask Ed Orgeron and he won a national title. So, I, I, it really at that point becomes a matter of personal preference. I think 
I think the LSU job right now is in better shape, dare I say. I mean, what you inherit when you walk in there, you've got you got two really good quarterbacks. You've got a number of skilled players that'll be back. You've got, I'm assuming JC and I could be wrong on this, the recruiting class is still, even with the coaching change, going to be pretty darn good at LSU. Top, top 25, I would think. Um, whereas with Florida, you're walking into a situation. I don't know if you have, a, uh, a quarterback that you feel great about, uh, the, the misses in recruiting have been well-documented. The current recruiting class is not great and Georgia is rolling. So I, I would give a slight edge to LSU. I mean, I'd gladly take either one of those jobs. If I am a coach, Particularly if I'm not in a great situation already, I'd gladly take LSU or Florida. Hell, I'd gladly take all three of them. But that's how I would rank them as it stands. LSU 1, Florida 2, Southern Cal 3. I'm, I'm also going LSU 1 uh, just because, man, holes. And, and look, I, I was talking to some people the other day. There's some folks out there that are going, oh, no, no, Florida's a better job. And I'm like, well, okay. And then that's somebody's opinion. I don't, I don't agree. I, th- I think LSU – you got the national titles, obviously. I think this is a program that's been on at least solid footing for 20 years. Um, great facilities. There's nothing like, although the swamp to me is a close second when it's rocking. It hadn't always been rocking the last few years. Saturday night, Death Valley, Baton Rouge. You're on the I-10 corridor. That means you can go hit Houston, East Texas. You can go all the way over to Florida. Uh, and get guys, plus all the talent in Louisiana, all those kids without exception normally, without few exceptions, but with few exceptions, these guys grow up dreaming of walking out, running out of that tunnel on Saturday night in Baton Rouge. I mean, that's just how that state is. Uh, And it's got – especially on the defensive line, at wide receiver, your skill positions, uh, defensive back, you know, they they always can get guys at those spots, and they're always elite – Okay. Um, to me, I'd go Southern Cal number two. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I think it's it's been a run of dysfunction with the exception of the Pete Carroll era out there. Uh, but it's still Southern Cal. And th- there's not a program that's dripping with the tradition in your entire league like Southern Cal. Uh, and that's your league. You know, like it or not, that's your league. And it's not that other programs in that league cannot be good or have not been good. Cause I think one of the great things about the PAC 12, you look at every program, even Washington state, Colorado, Oregon state, there's been years they've cycled up in one big and, and, and that happens, but it's nothing like, you know, and I remember when I was a child, you, you turn on the TV on Saturday afternoon, ABC and Keith Jackson's like Southern California has got the ball. And you hear dun, 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 Man, there's not much like that. And California, regardless of the fact there's been a mass exodus of, of players, Southern Cal gets going again. You are going to get those players. And you, if you're, whereas if you're at Florida, you're going to have to battle possibly a resurgent Florida State. You're going to have to battle Alabama and everybody else that comes into Florida and gets players now. It's not like it used to be where all the Florida kids stay in state. And that's been something everybody's missed when they're talking about Florida, Florida State, Miami. They, They've seen guys go elsewhere, plus those second-tier guys that you can recruit that are usually pretty good, like Miami used to do. Those kids go to UCF. 
So, well, I, all right. I'm, you I'm know, gonna, and, I'm and gonna... so, so I, and then you look at the turnover. Uh, you know, I think that I'd be a little scared of Florida, like we mentioned. So that's why I mean, one, two, three, that would be it. It's close. And I'm yeah. not crapping on the Florida job by any stretch, but that would be my pick on that. Yeah, they're they're all great jobs. I, I would just counter with what you were saying about the exodus of kids out of Florida. I mean, take there's a lot of Brock Bowers right now, tight end for Georgia, left Napa, mm-hmm. California to go to Athens. CJ I mean, Stroud. CJ Stroud. There, there's a kid. long list of California kids that are getting the heck out of Dodge because you can't match what SEC and Big Ten football give compared to Pac-12. And I'm not crapping on the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I, I, but it's just not the same. And despite all the uh, incorrect Dan Patrick show reports on the college football playoff, it doesn't look like that's going to expand in the next couple of years. So the Pac-12, which has been in it now, what, two out of seven, two out of eight? Yeah. Right. So, so 75% of the time, the PAC 12 is not even in the playoff. Yeah. And, and so you, if you take the Southern Cal job, the only chance you have at getting in the playoff more often than not is to run this, the table. And even if you say, well, how that can't be that hard since nobody else is that good in the PAC 12, nobody else has been doing it there. And I, I just look at it at Southern Cal, the way I kind of look at it at Texas it can't just be that they're missing on hires. Like there's something a little bit deeper than that. That's plaguing that job in that program. And so I think if I can take an elite sec job right now, which is what Florida and LSU are over Southern Cal, I take it now. Trust me. I would, I would not mind living in SoCal. Mm. I would not mind the lifestyle. I would not mind a lot of things about that area. Uh, you got me hyped up with the Keith Jackson. You got me hyped up with the band. A lot of good things about Southern Cal. Mm. Taxes are going to hurt. Taxes are good. They're, they're going to they hurt will. over there. They, they're not afraid to take your money. Not afraid to take your money. Uh, but, but yeah, I, they're all three great jobs. But if you put it, if you put a gun to my head, that's where I would go different. I would, I would take Florida above Southern Cal. And I would also put LSU one at this point in time. What about Brian Kelly? For Southern Cal, Kirk Herbstreit keeps mentioning this, and you know I know Herbie's not like Mister Scoop, and I know he got burnt with that Les Miles Michigan thing, but yeah. there has to be a reason why he continues to mention that, and that that's intriguing. I, I guess I guess I must have missed it because uh, I don't know the history of Notre Dame football. My girlfriend's going to get mad at me about that, but I, I miss the fact he's the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame. Yeah, that happened this year, right? That yeah. was, uh, yeah, that, no, he, I mean, he's got job security. Like, he doesn't have to look over his shoulder. Uh, uh, path he's, of think, least resistance. Well, I mean, if you're at Notre Dame, you don't have to play in a conference every year, and you can set up yeah. your own schedule. That that might be the path Jeez. of least yeah. resistance. You know, like, how challenging is their schedule, really? You get to play footsies with the ACC, you know, you, you make out with them, but you're not willing to go all the way. You're not willing to commit as a full-time member. Uh, so, you know, you'll, you'll play spin the bottle, but it doesn't go any farther than that with the ACC. And then you, you're at a conference schedule. You get to, you get to cherry pick who you want on that bad boy. So are you, if he keeps that job, they're, they're going to average 10, 11 wins a year. I don't know if he's going to do that. If he takes a Southern Cal job. He went four and eight in 2016. 
And since that point, Notre Dame is 54 and nine with two college football playoff appearances. That's not bad. And they always, they always get the benefit of the doubt. They do on the playoff. And you're not going to get that at Southern Cal. Two losses in your house. You know, I mean, sometimes even one. But, you know, you've heard rumors about him for years, man. When Chip Kelly got the Eagles job from Oregon, Brian Kelly actually was going there. And then he, it was one of those, oh, yeah, it looks like it's going to happen. The NFL boys were reporting it, the media boys in the NFL. And then he, you know, I'm going to stay at Notre Dame. And the job ended up going to Chip Kelly instead of Brian Kelly. No relation. But, you know, and you hadn't heard much about him and other jobs in years, but I, I just find it funny that there's a reason. And I, I just looked at our Southern Cal site and Brian Kelly's name isn't on it. So I, I don't know. I just, I, there's just a reason talking to people behind the scenes that there's a reason that keeps getting mentioned. And I'm well, just telling our listeners to keep it. Yeah. On. Yeah. No, look uh, at this point, anything's in play. Now, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't do it. I'd stay at Notre Dame. I'd say at Notre Dame right NFL now. If I needed to scratch Absol- Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, before we continue with the uh, Haney hot five, I do want to mention our proud sponsor, Stuart Wingo of Ameris bank. If you are ready for a new mortgage or a refi, doesn't matter where you're listening to us. If you're in Georgia, if you're in Florida, if you're in South Carolina, if you're in Alabama, he is licensed in almost all 50 states. He's handled my mortgages in multiple states over the years, and nobody will explain it better or do it better. It's not going to hand you off to somebody else. This is his cell number for crying out loud. It is a direct line to him. He's been in this business for decades now and is second to none in customer service and getting you the best rate on a new mortgage, a refi, a jumbo loan, a construction loan handles them all for you, and will give you the best customer service you can possibly hope for. 803-319-1777. That's an early Christmas present for you folks. 803-319-1777. Stuff your stocking with thousands of dollars in savings on a new mortgage. All right, gentlemen, question number four before you hear, and I just want a simple yes or no answer from both of you, and then you can expound upon your thoughts on this. A guy that's obviously very familiar with Southern Cal himself is Lane Kiffin. We mentioned earlier the possibility that he might leave Oxford. So just a simple yes or no question from each of you. In 2022, is Lane Kiffin still coaching in Oxford? I am in the minority. I feel like I am on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Just a, just a one oar, just trucking through some some heavy, heavy waves, some high seas. And everybody looking and saying that guy's got no chance with his prediction that Lane's going to stay put. Everybody wants him. Why would he stay? He's got better opportunities. I say Lane Kiffin is back in Oxford in 2022. All right, JC. I I don't think Mike is like crazy off base. In fact, I've I've seen some people, uh, gosh, Saturday down South had something like since 2014 only one sec coach has left uh to go to another power five job and that was james franklin leaving vandy for penn state it's just sort of unprecedented um you know without getting fired and, and all that uh and of course dan mullen did leave mississippi state for florida uh so you know i kind of thought that guy 
who mentioned that wasn't all that plugged in, but he did make a good point. Now that I know he left off Dan Mullen leaving Mississippi State for Florida, I'm like, well, <laughs> you, know, you you missed the boat there, brother. Um, but Kiffin, uh, I'm going to go with he's he's not. I just I just heard these things don't happen by accident. Welcome and, to my and, boat, JC. From, from what I've heard behind the scenes, yeah, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the cruise line having a a cold drink, and you're over there in a rowboat, Mike. Uh, but that's okay. Because that's right. where heroes are made, man. Yeah, that robot, right. row the boat. Heck yeah. PJ Flight reference. Me and PJ. Um, he goes, uh, you know, and, and, and I, but what I hear behind the scenes is it's not even like a money thing. It's a where do you want to be kind of thing. And Ole Miss does lose 17 starters. And, you know, he's his name has never been hotter right now. Because even when he got the Raiders and Tennessee – Southern Cal, you kind of were like, well, gosh, this guy wasn't good with the Raiders, and he only went seven and six at Tennessee in one year. Now he's going to Southern Cal and taking over a problem. Um, and then he was at FAU and had a great year, then a bad year, and then a good year, and, and some old Miss plucks him. And, and that was kind of one of those things where, you know, oh, that makes sense. That's a good job for him. Well, now, you know, he, 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 he could go coach at, at a place that, has a shot at a national title. Now, there was some talk that that Miami was going to be the uh, the destination, and and I, and I still I've heard it enough that I, I believe that if Miami does open, and I don't know that it will, uh, and and they could at least get close salary wise, I, I think that's going to be really interesting to follow. Florida is like, I don't know, I haven't heard a whole lot about the Gators uh, in terms of, you know, would he be a candidate? I mean, I know Bruce Feldman had all Florida's candidates listed today. Didn't have Kiffin, but he is sitting there on the Vegas odds. So we'll see, uh, you know, there's LSU that's out there or whatever. Uh, I would lean more towards Mike's opinion. Let's say if Miami does not come open, just because I think LSU will head in another direction and then, you know, Florida, you'd have to make a decision and all that. And like I said, I think it's a quality of life kind of thing with him uh, from what I, what I hear behind the scenes. But, you know, rumors get started and all that good stuff. And uh, the the stat is correct. I mean, it's just so rare for somebody to leave a sitting SEC job and go to another one. You know, it just, it just doesn't happen that often. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But mine would be, no, I don't think Lane will be in Oxford next year. All right, moving on to uh, question number five, and it's something that that actually uh, intrigued me when we were talking about this earlier. So this is just more of a, uh, again, another uh, overall uh, thought process on, on another guy within the SEC. But Mark Stoops, he's nine years, he's going uh, into a decade in Kentucky and what he's been able to build there in Lexington. He was on the list of potential, uh, at least in, in the odds, to be the next Florida coach there. But in discussing his opportunities right now, is he somebody that will take a step to a blue blood program? Would a blue blood program try to pluck Mark Stoops? Uh, it's I know you guys have mentioned path of least resistance a few times and, you know, where you are and you're comfortable and, and he doesn't have to go anywhere. He's, he's got the job as long as he wants it in Lexington, it seems. But your opinion on on a guy like Mark Stoops, who's just kind of quietly been going about his business for 10 years. Is there another step for him or is he going to be in the bluegrass state for the rest of his tenure there? It's a great question, and it might be as even more difficult to uh, answer than the the Lane Kiffin sweepstakes. 
I, I think first off the second part of your question, there's, there's no doubt there's going to be interest in Mark Stoops. Uh, his name is, is I realize some Kentucky fans are not completely elated with this season. I mean, come on now, folks, <laughs> if you beat Louisville, uh, this weekend, that's another very good season in Kentucky by Kentucky football standards. The, the man has done a terrific job in Lexington. The, the, the fear that I think a lot of Kentucky fans have more than anything else is not Mark Stoops going to Florida or LSU or Southern Cal, but if James Franklin, who at one point was considered the top guy on the board for all these jobs, seemingly, uh, maybe his stock has, has suffered a bit. But if he left Penn State, Mark Stoops to Penn State would seem like a very comfortable move for him. Uh, if you know his background and where he's from, uh, Mark Stoops just doesn't seem like a Gainesville guy. He doesn't seem like a Baton Rouge guy. He could seem like a Happy Valley guy. That That is one. But outside of that, Kentucky, again, uh, I feel like I have to say this over and over. Uh, hopefully we'll get to a point where this, this is just painfully <laughs> obvious. Yes. It's a football and basketball school. You can be both. They will spend a ton. If you've seen Kentucky's facilities of late, if you take a tour around their facilities, they have not cut any corners for their football program. I assure you. So financially speaking, they're another one. They're not just going to sit back and lose a bidding war in this process. These programs that if they're truly in love with their coach, they are uh, equipped to match whatever you have to offer. And, and I expect Kentucky, financially speaking, is in that situation. So it wouldn't be a money grab move. It's not like it was 20 years ago where so many of these things were dictated by one program could offer an extra $1.5 million over the other. They've all got just boatloads of money now with the latest TV contracts and everything else. So I think that, that Mark Stoops, if he is truly happy at Kentucky, and I know the fan base loves him there, uh, financially speaking, he can make every bit as much Kentucky as he can anywhere else. I say he stays. He's been rumored for every job. I mean, I can't go online to any day without seeing him rumored for another new job. But I think Mark Stoops stays in Kentucky. I think this is the year it's going to be challenging for him to stay because I, I, you know, like Feldman wrote earlier today and he's right. Uh, there's too many good jobs and not enough quality candidates. Uh, and if you look at Mark Seuss, 57 and 53, 29 and 45 in the league, you know, going to be heading to like his sixth straight bowl game though, with the Wildcats this year. And, and here's the stat that did it for me. That, that, that tr- kind of shines the spotlight on Kentucky and what Stoops has accomplished you know, you look at the overall records, the seven and sixes, the eight and fives. Um, okay, so so 2020, all SEC schedule, Kentucky went four and six. So that's technically a losing season in the league, but that's still four conference wins. Since 2016, he has only won less than four games, which is a 500 record most years in the SEC. One time, that was in 2019, when he lost his quarterback, and they finally figured out Lynn Bowden, that, who was a wide receiver was going to be the QB and it changed the whole tra- trajectory of their season. They won the belt bowl, beat Virginia tech. They were playing great ball by the end. That's the only year he's had, uh, you know, 
less than four SEC wins, which most years in a non-COVID year and all that is a 500 record. That to me is the impressive thing. I mean, you're talking like half a decade since Kentucky, you know, has been at the bottom of the East. They've, they've gradually gone up. They've passed South Carolina. Uh, they keep losing to Tennessee. So I don't think it's fair to say they've passed Tennessee, but they've been more successful recently. It's put distance with Vanderbilt, put distance with Missouri. I mean, they're right there. Beat, um, beat Dan Mullen twice. Beat Dan Mullen twice. That that series, Mike, you know. I mean, it was – there have been, a, like, a lot of blowouts with the Gators and Wildcats over the years. And then when it looked like Kentucky had them, miracle comebacks. Yep. <laughs> you know, and 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 they've just rubbed their nose in it. And they, he's turned that. He's owned the series with Louisville for the most part. He beats South Carolina a lot. He beats Missouri a lot. You know, and you're right about that fan base and that institution. They have money. I mean, and, and they have support. It's not like you don't get a bunch of people at Commonwealth Stadium. And people, they use this basketball school thing. And, yes, Kentucky basketball is a Taj Mahal. It's a, it's a, it's a Cadillac program. It's a blue blood if there ever was one. But bas- football doesn't have to suffer up there because of it. And, and, and I don't know that that's been the reason. I think geography is more of a reason Kentucky has suffered. And I think Stoops has been the coach that's figured that out because he goes into Ohio and he's getting players, guys, that Michigan State used to get and win bowl games against SEC teams. And Iowa used to get and Purdue and Illinois and, 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 all, and even Michigan to a certain extent. And he's going to get in those guys because if he figured it out, he's like, he's from Ohio and he's like, we just got to go to Cincinnati and cross the river. We're the closest SEC school. Let's do something different. And they have. And it's worked. And, and the key number to me on them, you mentioned the overall, the past four years, 31 and 17. Yes. And, and in that 31 is some pretty are some pretty big wins. He's producing NFL players. He's taking two and three star guys and develop developing them into NFL players. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 54 years old. He's from Ohio. Kentucky is not far from Ohio, as we all know. Uh, I think he's pretty darn cozy. Again, that the one job that I that would concern me would be Penn State more so than uh, than say a Gainesville. I, I continue to maintain, like I have on this podcast, if Iowa opens anytime soon. Yeah, and now you're talking alma mater. Yeah, that's his alma mater. It's it's a it's a situation that is similar to Kentucky, uh, except that division in the Big Ten. There's no Georgia. There's no. I mean, there's Wisconsin. Yeah, great, super nice story at Minnesota with PJ Fleck. Brett Bielema's beating people at Illinois for whatever reason. Nebraska's not good. You know, Iowa is, and that's kind of the same style of coaching. And, and and I think that there's a chance when you're at Iowa versus Kentucky to where, you know, you're maybe not topping out at 10 and three, you're maybe topping out at like a playoff berth. But yeah. that's just, that's just my thing. I, I do think this year though, Mark Stoops is going to get a lot of serious consideration, maybe just because of the job market. And he's deserving. So, but um, if people just think he's going to walk away from Kentucky, uh, I agree with you, Mike. I think they're sadly mistaken. Uh, I think Kentucky will fight to keep him, and it just may take an offer he can't refuse. I'll just throw one other number in all this sure. about which uh, they're all kind of connected to one another, right? They're all tethered to one another. James Franklin, 
who weeks ago when LSU came open, I mean, he was considered the linchpin of what all these moves, how they were going to fare. Since 2020, James Franklin is 11 and nine. Yeah. <laughs> That's like 11 and nine. Now he's only got a $4 million buyout, which is very slight in this yeah. day and age for a major program. But, uh, that's a that's a pretty interesting number to uh, to throw out there when you're and, talking about all these schools going after him. And you also have Matt Rule sitting there with a ridiculous contract with the Panthers. I don't, don't think, think he's leaving. I don't, I know I know it's out there. I may just be I, like, hey, we're going to mutually agree to to do this, and and Penn State would be the type of gig that I think. Well, it's his alma mater. I mean, that's his school. So. And he had great success at Temple and in Philly. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you've got the right program. I just, I, <laughs> did you see what they're paying him with the Panthers? Like, it, it's not like he's doing a terrible job. I mean, he, he, he walked in there and they've still got quarterback issues. And uh, I don't know. I, he's, I, he's making boy band type money. He's making boy band type money. And I, I just I don't see that happening, but you're right. I mean, that's a real thing. That rumor is certainly strong. It's out there and, you know, things go through back channels and you never know which one is true and which one is not. All right, gentlemen, that's up for the uh, the, the five. We'll do a bonus holiday question, though, if you guys are OK, okay with that. And Absolutely. You ready for that? All right. Holiday we'll we'll question. Yeah, we'll keep a, we'll keep a little bit of the football theme in here and, and beyond, you know, the the blockbuster, get your popcorn, Ohio State, Michigan game. Everybody's going to want to be watching that one. But uh, two parter here um, beyond the big game in the big house. What game are you most looking forward to this rivalry weekend to wrap up the college football regular season? And number two. What is the most underrated Thanksgiving side item? And why is it pineapple casserole? <laughs> pineapple casserole, really? Oh, yeah, man. I, you're my, talking my, my to a mom guy makes who... the best pineapple casserole. It's amazing. Man, Cheese. I was pineapple. not expecting that. I wasn't either. And I'm a guy who puts pineapple on pizza, has done so before it was cool, before California picked up on that. Uh, <laughs> Gosh, I, I think I feel like all the regular ones are taken and I don't I don't have any special ones up my sleeve. I might have to defer to you on that one, Jason. Well, what's, what's underrated, though, Mike? I mean, you got to have something that well, I love me some collard greens. I, okay. I love some good collard greens. But is that really that's not really a curveball I'm throwing at you, right? That's pretty common, particularly in the South. Yeah, I mean, you got yeah, your right. you got your sweet potatoes. Anything that's got bacon in it, I'm all in. Yeah. We just what do you think doesn't get enough love, Mike? There's gotta be something. Gotta be something. I, I, I'm Dr. going Coward with uh short. I've got one. Okay. Guys, did I mute no, no, I didn't mute. Okay. So, you know, I grew up in Spartanburg and you know, it's it's a the upstate has somewhat multicultural, you know, you got BMW and all that there, but you know, <laughs> families from Spartanburg and we go to Thanksgiving and Christmas every year and it's like, what's about Where's the green stuff? The green stuff. It's called Russian salad, right? It's a congealed Russian salad with like, you know, cranberries and pecans. There's different ways you can make it. Carrots. Um, but it's really, really good. Uh, you know, and I Googled Russian salad before I opened my mouth, and there's like 20 different ways you can make it. I'm talking about like the – it's almost – it's got some little jello in it, pecans – 
that stuff, it's really, really good. And they called it green stuff uh, when we were uh, growing up. And to me, I always love to eat the green stuff. And, you know, uh, I'm spending Thanksgiving up here this year. So maybe, you know, maybe I could drive down to one of the Eastern European neighborhoods and ask them, you know, <laughs> to put their guns away and make me some. So, <laughs> uh, yes, that's always a good factor. Well, like when I was a kid, my casserole or, or, or potato, uh, potato casserole or potato salad is what it, what it seems like. What a Russian salad? Yeah, is it what? What else? No, nah, it's not made. Now there's a version you can make with potatoes. This is more of a gel gelatin kind of. It's a sweet. It's a sweeter dish, like okay. cranberry sauce mixed with Jello kind of deal. You know, uh, now, but I love potato salad too. Now, now look, you, you can give me a bowl of potato salad for Thanksgiving, and I'll just eat, and I'll be fine. I'll skip everything else if it's the right potato salad. So, by the way, the if if you've ever had fried turkey. It's hard to go back to regular turkey. Really? I mean, I I just Never I am agree with you there, Mike. If you get I it am, done right, if you if you if you uh, inject it properly, let it marinate uh, yes. over over twenty four hours, and and you get the you get it all right. Yeah, a, a I'll give up turkey. all the side dishes if you can prepare my turkey fried, because to me it makes that much of wow. a difference. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, you mentioned the game other than Ohio State Michigan. To me, this one's easy. I've never been more intrigued or excited about the Egg Bowl. I, I mean, Kiffin, Leach, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, um, both programs having breakout years, both quarterbacks doing incredibly well. Uh, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. If you were one of the hot take artists that your hot take – when Mississippi State lost a game, say, six weeks ago and said, well, I said all along, Mike Leach's offense can't work in the SEC. He's too stubborn. It's predictable. And it'll never work in the Southeastern Conference. Take a look at Will Rogers' numbers. He's already broken all of Dak Prescott's records, and he ain't done yet. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, he's going to throw for a lot of yards in this game. It's going to be a high-scoring game. I think the over-under is somewhere around 62. Ole Miss is a... Oh, they, oh, how about this? Ole Miss opened as a two-point favorite. Mississippi State is now a one-point favorite. I think this is as good a game as we're going to see all weekend, and I'm I'm here for it. The coaches, the personalities. Remember two years ago when this game was in uh, Starkville? Oh, a certain, wow. A certain Ole Miss player who's now in the NFL decided to lift his leg and pretend that he was urinating in the end zone. That essentially cost Matt Luke his job and set the wheels in motion for Lane Kiffin. That, that one play, uh, because of that backed them up, and then, it, then the 15-yard the penalty, then they missed the extra point. They wind up losing the game in large part to that, uh, that mental mistake. So I think it's, it's a really fun rivalry. Uh, I've gotten a chance to call one of these on national radio. It, the state of Mississippi does not get the same love as the Iron Bowl or – uh, even uh, Florida, Florida State, Carolina, Clemson, sometimes it gets kind of just left out there in the cold. They play it specifically uh, a day earlier than all the other games, so it's going to have a primetime audience uh, on, a, on, a, on a Thursday night, Thanksgiving night. So, yeah, I'm going Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Egg Bowl, baby. I love the Egg Bowl, I, you know, but I, I, I've got my eye on Georgia, Georgia Tech. Whoa. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did Georgia Tech change teams? Did I miss that memo? 
Ah, it's bad because you, you know, like some years when this thing rotates back to Athens, Georgia Tech's got a decent team, and then with, with sometimes when it's in Atlanta, though, my goodness, Georgia's got half the stadium. No, nothing against nothing against clean old fashioned hate. Georgia's a thirty five point favorite. You know, <laughs> uh, Florida, Florida State's interesting because the winner is bowl eligible. Uh, you guys know I'm into Clemson, South Carolina, and and, and think that's going to be a, a really good one, but. Um, you know, I, I I look at it, and you know, I'm with you on the Egg Bowl being very, very intriguing. Uh, watching like the Boston College Wake and North Carolina NC State game is on Friday. Uh, that'll decide; those will decide a division title. Uh, so I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. Uh, Missouri and Arkansas to me on on that Friday. You know, Missouri's gotten up off the mat one two in a row. Arkansas, really good game against Bama last week. They could win eight in Sam Pittman's second year. Uh, so very intrigued by that one. And then in the Misery Bowl, uh, Kansas State goes to Texas. So if you're the Longhorns, you know, congratulations on canceling that A&M series because now you have Kansas State who, even when Kansas State's not good, even when Ron Prince was the coach at K-State, they went into <laughs> Texas and beat them by 20. So – uh, have a nice dish of cranberry sauce there, Longhorns, and uh, maybe next time you decide to back out of your in-state rivalry, and I know it wasn't all them, uh, you'll think twice, and uh, we can get the uh, the scene from the best little whorehouse in Texas back uh, where the Aggies and Longhorns finally get back together on Thanksgiving. Dolly Parton, Burt Reynolds. Th- Burt Reynolds, Dolly Parton. I, Other I, people. <laughs> I saw that movie when I was entirely too young to see that movie, and I remember yeah. nothing about it. it there's but, nothing in it. It's not like – it's not even – it's really a PG-13 kind of deal. It's just – Okay. It just kind of is what it is. Yeah. Is it a musical? Yeah. Do they sing in that thing? It is a musical. Like, oh, we, we right almost then. did it yeah. in theater. Like, I was pitch, I, I was talking to one of my professors in theater at USC Upstate way back when, and I was like – I'd kind of like to do the best little whorehouse in Texas. And they're like, man, we'd love to, but how do you cast it? Because, you know, there's like five theater majors and four of them are girls. And you got to cast a football, two football teams, the Longhorns and the Aggies and all these other people. So it's not castable at the college level, but certainly is a tremendous musical. And I'll never forget. I mean, that's part of like pop culture in this century, the Aggies and Longhorns. And, and we don't get that anymore. So I'm not going to feel sorry for Texas if Kansas State rubs their nose in it yet again. The good news is we'll get it again soon. Uh, Hopefully Uh, in 2023 is what I'm targeting for the uh, expansion to actually take place. Guys, we have reached the end of the road. A uh, a lengthy podcast. The last one we'll do before uh, next week and uh, Thanksgiving and Rivalry Week and a whole lot of things we'll have to talk about next week. Maybe the uh, coaching pictures will be a little bit more clear at that point. Maybe they won't. Maybe we'll be talking about three more openings <laughs> as <laughs> it turns out at the pace that we're going. So we shall see. Michael, JC, hope you have a great Thanksgiving, guys. Back at you, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving, fellas. Yep. Thanks, fellas. Really great right, to guys. do this uh, again and uh, excited about this episode. episode. Absolutely. 151. Episode 151 is in the books. Folks out there, hope your team wins. Enjoy a healthy and happy Thanksgiving holiday. We'll talk to you next time on JC and Morgan.